Hey, it's Cindy Howes from the podcast Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Check out our very special 250th episode featuring an interview and performance with Basic Folk co-host Lizzie No. I feel like most women I know have an experience where they've been working and working and working to perform and to execute and to please everyone else, and then things sort of fall apart a little bit in some way or another. And partying can actually be a really important step towards getting free because it shows you where you need to fall apart and being on the dance floor, like in community with Mm. other women and Mm -hmm. in community with queer people. Mm -hmm. Like for me, those experiences have been so important. This time, Lizzie is on the other side of the mic talking about and performing songs from their brand new album, Half Seas. Basic Folk's 250th episode with Lizzie No is streaming now on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Join us there or wherever you get podcasts. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm Cindy House. I'm the host of this podcast, which is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Thanks for finding us. Uh, If you would love to stay in touch with us, we would also love that. You can sign up for our monthly newsletter at our website, basicfolk.com, or you can follow us on social media at basicfolkpod. You can also support us. We're a listener-funded podcast at the website as well, basicfolk.com slash donate. Today, we are talking to our friend, Marcarelli. Marcarelli, if you have not heard, is slowly going blind. In August of 2020, he noticed he couldn't see his fingers during a show. After that, as he was driving in a tunnel, everything went black. Mark went to the doctor and was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, or RP. Since then, his life has changed in ways he could have never imagined. He doesn't drive at night. He carries a flashlight everywhere he goes. His relationship with his family, his writing, and his career have been pushed to the brink. All the processing he's done over the last three years has led him to his latest album, Layer Darkness Down. In our conversation, we talk about Mark's new challenges he's faced while living with RP. He shares what it was like for him to tell friends and how he constantly has to advocate for himself. One aspect he did not expect was being able to use his white male privilege to speak up about his disability and hopes to help the community of people with disabilities. Once he realized that, he recognized that it was his responsibility to speak up for the greater good. One hilarious note, my six-month-old puppy, who's actually in the room right now, decided she wanted to interrupt and tear apart a book during the interview. I tried to get her out of the room. But in the end, she insisted that she remain, and I apologize for the occasional rustling and background noises. There she is again. If you listen hard enough at one point, you can hear Dottie the cat growling at her. Puppies are the best. Okay, let's get to our interview with Margarelli on Basic Folk. Marcarelli, thanks for being on Basic Folk again. It's great to be back. Well, uh, let's get into what's going on with you. Um, back in August of 2020, um, you started noticing vision loss. You couldn't see your fingers when you're playing guitar during a show. 
After that, you were driving in Boston, went through a tunnel, everything went black. You went to the doctor and were diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. You got it. been practicing that all day. <laughs> um, or RP, and you discovered you were slowly going blind. And before we jump into personal questions about your diagnosis, is there anything that you want to say about RP that people wouldn't know about? Well, I'm guessing that a lot of people don't have a lot of experience with it. It's not a terribly common uh, disease. I forget the statistics. It's not super, super rare, but you don't often encounter it. And I think the thing that is the hardest uh, for me in kind of everyday life is that it is a disability, but it's an invisible disability, you know. Um, And the way that I was diagnosed and the timing of it all, we all kind of sequestered ourselves for a year or two. And then the next time people saw me, I didn't really look any different. I had some stylish glasses that that's not out of out of the realm of possibility you know that seems normal and everything else about me looks totally fine um so it's it's something that you can't really see and so and yet it's something that's a very real pervasive kind of factor throughout my day especially as the day begins to turn into night so it's it's one of these things where i have to i really have to spend a lot of time and energy advocating for myself and uh, talking about it with other people. Mm -hmm. And yet it's also something that I don't want uh, to define me. So it's Mm -hmm. this weird tension to kind of navigate, you know, pretty much every day. Right. And I'm sure like during interviews, this is like the thing that you're talking about. Yeah, which is which is fine. I mean, I wouldn't have talked about it at all, um, honestly. Because uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to like pull, feel like I'm pulling a sympathy card or anything like that. Um, and it's, you know, it's personal, p- private stuff, right? Um, except not only did it, was it going to really affect how I, how I did my job, you know, just logistically, but it also started creeping thematically into the art, you know, it, it's, it started mm-hmm. getting into the songs. And so there wasn't really any place to hide from it. You know, it was, uh, Mm -hmm. if people asked me to, you know, come on down the the street after the gig for a party or something, and I didn't go, it would be awkward. And, you know, people wouldn't understand why I was acting the way that I was acting. And then it's in the songs, and it's hard to talk about it without, you know, addressing the elephant in the room. So I've found that it's, it's most helpful for me to just be really open and honest about it. And, mm. uh, and it, it helps other people, you know, be the same with me, which is wonderful. Definitely. And when you say, um, you're calling your RP an invisible disability where you're advocating, what does that look like and how has it changed the way you might view others who may also have an invisible disability? Yeah, I mean, by invisible disability, I'm still learning all the terminology myself, you know, as it took me a a long time to even use the D word, as I call it. Um, Mm. But, uh, you know, so I'm new here, and I'm still learning all the all the terminology. But as I understand it, an invisible disability is just 
one that you just can't necessarily see just to look at somebody else. You know, if someone's in a wheelchair or if someone's got uh, an assistive cane that they're using to, to navigate down the street, you know, it's it might be obvious that, you know, something is amiss or, or they're, um, you know, they have a, a particular disability that you can see. But an invisible disability is one that someone might have to be living with, but you, you can't, others can't see it, right? So... For me, this is, I'd like to think that this has really helped me kind of become even more empathetic and more and more compassionate. Um, by my being so open about it, mainly because, as I just explained, I, I didn't really feel like I had a choice. Um, the effect that that's had on other people is that they, they tend to share with me what they're going through. And... I was very nervous to, t- to talk about this kind of thing with, with my audience, let alone just, mm. you know, kind of strangers. But um, people now just kind of respond in kind. You know, they tell me about what they've been struggling with or what someone in their family has been struggling with. And the kind of additive effect of all that is that you start to realize that Pretty much everybody is trying to carry something, whether you can see it or not. And so for the person that cuts you off in traffic or, you know, the person that has very poor email etiquette but seems like a nice person in real life or whatever it is, you know, um, <laughs> you know, everyone's trying to carry something or they, they love somebody who's really having a hard time trying to carry mm. something. And so it's given me a, a greater appreciation of that. So at the time when this all started, there was probably a bit of a gap between August 2020 and when you were actually diagnosed, but it seemed like pretty close or like within the same year that you released your last record, Blindsided, and it was also like right in the middle of the pandemic. So you kind of had to like keep going with your last record. So how are you relating to your work and your previous material at the time of your diagnosis? Well, you know, it's, it's funny. Like I clearly used that album title one record too early. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It is funny. I do, I do go back and, and when I find myself singing older songs, I do stumble across these, these visual references. Um, Not just, kind of imagery that you perceive visually, but also kind of references to, to sighted sightedness or vision in some way. And Mm. some of them I kind of knew about, but others kind of pop up still and surprise me. One of them that surprised me ironically was, you know, maybe if I have a best known song, maybe it's by degrees. Uh, and the first line, you know, when I take a look around me, sometimes I wish I was blind. You know, I have to sing that song a lot. And mm-hmm. it's it's already a hard song to sing because of, uh, you know, its references to gun violence. But just personally, that first line is, it's very hard. <laughs> and mm. for a totally different reason. And again, to look at me, you wouldn't know. Um if you mm-hmm. hadn't heard me say it. So um, I do I do still kind of get surprised by by all the visual imagery and, and the kind of uh, reliance on 
on site in my songs. I'm also kind of struck by the other sensual references, you know. Um, I think at one point I read a writing, you know, some someone that was writing on writing, and they said, you know, everyone talks about what they can see, but there's other senses, you know. You can sing about, mm-hmm. you can write about what you what you feel, at, you know, with touch or what you smell. I had been trying to weave the the other senses into my mm-hmm. writing just as a way of like using additional colors, right? Like just talking about what you can, you can see singing about that feels like one color, but you know, there's other colors, there's other senses. And so I was kind of putting that into my songs where I could. And, uh, and I see that attempt now and I'm kind of grateful for it, you know, because it is seeing is, is, uh, important, but it's not everything. Yeah. You're a very funny person. You've got a great sense of humor. Um, <laughs> what is happening to you is not funny at all, although you still manage to keep that silliness and that lightness around you. So can you talk about um, where your humor, where your sense of humor has been and how that sort of fared this storm? Yeah. Um, well, thank you, first of all. Uh my my kids would probably beg to differ in terms of <laughs> my dad joke sense of humor, but it's my dad dad jokes and my my biology humor game is is pretty strong if I if I can toot my own <laughs> horn. But um, yeah, I think that's another just component of what I was saying before of of how I react to things and with the you know realization that the, that the kids are kind of tuning in, you know. You have to keep a sense of humor about things, uh, even the tough things. I do make, uh, you know, myself, I make frequent blind jokes <laughs> uh, about myself. Uh, I don't, re- I'm not really at the point where I'm able to appreciate it when other people make blind <laughs> jokes about me. <laughs> it's kind of like making jokes about your mama, you know, like I'll make jokes about my mom, but don't you dare, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's it's a it's a work in progress the 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 sense of humor. But yeah, it in general it's something that uh I really kind of hold on to pr- pretty tightly and it's it's a great way to kind of dispel anxiety, which I also hold on to pretty tightly. <laughs> yeah. Hello. You're someone whose identity at this point is deeply rooted in being a dad, being a parent. You have two sons who are in their early teens. You write songs about being a father. You talk about your kids. You wrote them a lullaby record. How has RP impacted the way that you parent and the way that you feel about being a dad, especially to older kids? Yeah, it's it's had a big impact. Um, not the least of which is that I don't, want to pass this on to them. Mm. Um, so, you know, time will tell, but, um, the other thing that it's, it's really driven home for me is that they see, you know, especially in the teenage years, they start, they stop talking and sharing a little bit, um, which is natural. I, I did that. I'm, I don't know if you did, but I, I certainly did. Um, 
but they are still watching and paying attention and they're looking at how you, uh, how I kind of react to things. And so I don't really feel like I have the luxury of like throwing my hands up and being despondent or, um, just constantly frustrated. I'm frustrated sometimes, but, um, you know, I just can't let it affect me that fundamentally because then they're going to learn that this is what you do when you run into a, a challenge. You kind of crumble mm. and you get crabby to be around and you, you know, kind of limit yourself and, and what you feel is possible. And um, I don't want them to have that way of looking at life. They're, they're going to have their own problems, but I, I really hope that they're their own problems and not just mm -hmm. Mark's problems 2.0, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Also, I'm wondering about like, you're worrying about role reversal happening too soon. Uh, well, I'm actually really excited to, to have my oldest uh, drive me to gigs when that happens, <laughs> because <laughs> right now it's really hard to find drivers, and um, it's just this logistical, you know, kind of thing, extra thing that has to happen every time I take a gig. Um, but hopefully at some point, Owen uh, and and or Caleb would be excited to get some experience driving me to gigs and, and hopefully I'd be still independent enough that they wouldn't have to like lead me around uh, mm. and that we could actually go and have some fun. You know, incidentally, th that was one of the things that I was really looking forward to uh, in their teenage years, taking them on the road, just, you know, them and dad for a weekend, you know, one-on-one -on -one time and... You know, maybe when you're not in your home environment or your normal surroundings, you end up talking, you know, like you do on road trips. And, and I mm -hmm. figured they might, you know, we might grow closer that way and be able to share things they might not think to share at home. And when I realized that I couldn't drive myself to gigs anymore, that that was one of the things that really, really got me at first. Mm. was like, I'm not going to be able to do that. And then someone pointed out, well, but they'll be able to drive you before too long. And I thought, oh, God, that's fantastic and terrifying on a certain <laughs> level. So how did you figure out the best way to tell people? And what was it like to have to basically like deal with their reactions, their emotions about this huge thing that was happening to you? Well, during the pandemic... I had taken to um, calling people on the phone um, kind of out of the blue, just as a way to connect uh, before my diagnosis even. Uh, I would pick six or seven people a week, you know, maybe one a day, and just reach out, you know, whereas I might have texted or emailed before, I would, I would call just to hear somebody else's voice, you know. Mm. So I was in the habit of calling already. And, um, so I just started calling people back, <laughs> back. And, uh, you know, I, I started very clumsily at first by saying that, you know, I wanted to let them know about an unfortunate medical diagnosis I'd, I'd gotten. And as soon as you say that phrase, everybody assumes cancer, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it took me a few times to be like, oh, right, no, it's, it's not cancer. You know, I, have to, I would have to follow up, like, right after that. It's not even fatal, you know? There's a lot of worse things that it could be. Um, 
so it took it it took me a little bit to just kind of not not lead with what sounded like the worst case scenario. But you know, you're to, trying to it sounds like just like trying to soften the blow. Yeah, just like prolongs the. Yeah, especially if I'm calling someone out of the blue. I mean, I don't know what I'm reaching them in the middle of. You know, they're they could yeah. be doing something really enjoyable, and here I am. Did you make sure them. that you asked them? Like, is this a good time to talk? <laughs> uh, I figured that you know now with cell phones, I feel like if you pick up the phone, it's a good time to talk. You know, like other otherwise you would just let it go. You know, that's um, a good point. But uh, yeah, it's, and you know, everyone to a person, everyone was just so kind and so loving and so supportive um yeah i i get a little emotional just thinking about it, it everyone mm-hmm. i was just so nervous at first especially calling people that i had worked with or you know was working with right before the pandemic you know Lori McKenna Josh Ritter Amy Helm Mark Cohn like i'm calling these people that are hiring me to do a job mm-hmm. um and i didn't want them to think of me as not being able to do that job anymore um so from the very beginning i've tried to sound a tone uh of you know kind of coming at this from a problem solving mindset and you know most days and most times i am of that mindset you know there's there's definitely times when i'm i get frustrated and and down about it but um for the most part like this is what i love to do i'm it's already you don't even need to be going blind to feel like it's a fight to do art <laughs> like it's yeah. just really hard to make a living doing anything creative so i'm already kind of in this sort of pugilistic mindset um constantly and the pandemic did not help that. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, when I got this diagnosis, it was basically after, you know, a certain period of time of, of just being pretty down about it. I kind of picked myself up and I was like, okay, I'm going to fight against this too, you know, like, and I hate to use that kind of antagonistic language. Maybe I, I should find a, a better way of putting it, but it, it's more just creativity and like a creative job is something you have to choose every day, right? There's no one over your shoulder going like, you're doing a great job. Like you should take a break (laughs) today. You know, it's like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) your work is never done. It's never done. You've never done it as well as you, you can do it. You can always go, uh, you know, as Greg Brown so wonderfully put it further in, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, this is just one more thing that kind of you have to kind of carry with you as you try and go further in, you know? So Mm. I was really nervous calling those, those artists. um, Cause I thought that people, I think maybe there might even be some people that think that I don't want to tour anymore. Um, Every once in a while we'll, we'll get that, you know, when we're trying to book a show or something, it's like, no, I definitely want to tour. I just, it's just a little bit more challenging logistically you know, but everyone's been so supportive and so loving. And, um, you know, a lot of those fears that, that people would, you know, kind of pull away or, you know, of course, completely unfounded. Um, Mm. Oh my gosh. I have a question about negative bias coming up, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but 
how closely have you been paying attention to your vision? And um, the you in in the Boston Globe, you were talking about how much you can see. So like in the daylight with glasses on, you have twenty twenty vision. When the light starts going away, you lose details. You've lost peripheral vision. Is that still true? Yeah, and it's it's um, it's going slowly. But it is still going. I think there was part of me that, um, you know, the way that RP works is is, is your vision degrades kind of gradually, but um, at an unpredictable rate, and it's not a constant rate, right? So it could be mm-hmm. it could be plateaued at a certain level for some time, and then it could change fairly rapidly. Um, there's just no way to know if or when that's happening. Um, mm-hmm. So. It's kind of like living, you know, waiting for the axe to fall, right? And you, you're constant. I'm always perceiving stuff like, is that, is, is, did I lose something today? Or, you know, or Mm -hmm. is this what it looked like last time? (laughs) You know, it's, it's hard to describe to people, other people what you see, but it's even hard to describe to yourself, like, to remember, like, what you saw yesterday (laughs) sometimes, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, because you can't, you can't have a record of it. No. And, um, so it's this very individualized thing. And, uh, you know, I just had a a two year checkup and, you know, things, my central field of vision is still relatively stable, which is great. I still have enough field of view so that I can drive in the daytime legally. I, Mm -hmm. I voluntarily quit driving at night. Um, not long after my diagnosis really, um, but you know it's it's a very contextual thing um as i've said before uh even in the daylight like if i go into a room and i sit down at a table with someone and i'm sitting facing the window and they're sitting with their back to the window they are in silhouette i just cannot mm. see their face so i find myself like every time i go into a restaurant or a room i tend to to uh sit with my back to the window now you know, um, so it is, it's a very contextual thing, you know, even I can mm-hmm. drive during the day fine, but if I turn down a tree lined street and it's, you know, shade, light, shade, light kind of situation, it's, it can be very problematic. So, um, yeah. so it's just something I have to kind of focus, you know, constantly on. We've talked a lot about you trying to get work done before the sun goes down, making sure you have enough lighting on stage. You now carry that little flashlight with you everywhere. And I'm sure that this has changed your relationship with light. So what's been that evolution for you when it comes to how you've like historically felt about the light? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that the light kind of uh the light as it kind of enters or leaves the sky is kind of the most striking sight for me now um contrary to to my previous song you know look up um i didn't used to look up very much i I would look down that was my own way of paying attention you know i would look under logs for creepy crawlies and bugs flying by and Mm. stuff i was i was paying attention but um you know, the clouds, I was like, whatever, the clouds are up there. I'm never going there. I don't need to pay attention to that. But now, um, 
I'm very tuned in to the way the light leaves the sky and it's really beautiful and I oftentimes will pause and take a look, you know, before it's gone. I think even more beautiful than the light leaving the sky is the light coming back <laughs> to the sky. Mm. Um, and I've, I'm a very early riser uh, by nature and, and the pandemic didn't help that. So I'm frequently up at, you know, four thirty, four o'clock, and I sometimes have to wait a long time <laughs> for the light to come into the sky. But it's a, it's a beautiful thing that I try and take note of every day. Mm. You have no plans to stop touring. Uh, you have your solo career. You also play sideman to a few people. You mentioned Lori McKenna, Josh Ritter, Mark Cohen. You also play in Barn Star. What is touring like for you now? And can you talk about how you developed your new way of touring? And if there's any like differences between your solo and ensemble tours? Like if you have to yell louder when you're like playing guitar for Josh Ritter versus playing a Margarelli show. Yeah, I mean, the only sideman work I've really done has been with Lori. Um, and that, you know, it really wasn't that different but I had done shows of my own before then where I'd kind of figured out a little bit more of what I needed in a venue. You know, um, a lot of these venues, you, you go to a, a, a gig and out front where the audience is, there might be, you know, elevators, there's lights, you know, there's railings on the, you know, stair stairwells and stuff. Um, but backstage, it may be super dark, you know, the stairs may not have any lights on them, you know, there may not be an elevator or whatever. It's, I don't think it's a, an intentional message, but the, the implicit message there is like, well, of course we want people with disabilities to be able to enjoy our performances, but this is backstage. Why would there be any disabled people back here? You know? So that's a that's a conversation that needs to continue and there's other people that have been having it for for longer than I have as well mm -hmm. and I'm I'm trying to you know join join their ranks and and you know contribute uh positively where I can to kind of bringing you know issues uh, kind of making issues you know more uh visible for folks but um for the most part I just I tell people in advance you know that I struggle with low vision and low light environments. Most people still don't really know what that means. So I bring a lot of reflective spike tape, um, which is expensive. And if I asked to borrow venues, they might say like, you know, don't use a ton of it, but I bring my own so I can use as much of it as I want. And sometimes I'll just like cover the backstage. I'll put like... Spike, uh, spike tape is just like, I was trying to like think what that is. It's just like yellow... So when you spike something, yeah, when you spike something, you're marking the location of a mic stand or something so that you can move it away at one point in the show and then you can move it back. And if you line up the spike marks, you know, the, the two okay. pieces of tape, it, it'll be in exactly the same point. Um, but you can use it for any number of things. It's, it, it's very reflective in low light um, environments. So I have, uh, I prefer the hot pink uh, spike tape that I get. Oh, pretty. Amazon. Yeah. And, um, and I'll just, I'll line the forward edge of every stair backstage. Um, sometimes I'll put it on the railings. Um, I'll mark out paths on the stage. 
once everybody gets their equipment set up, I'll walk, I'll mark, uh, you know, a corridor on the stage where I know that if I stay between those two lines that I will absolutely not knock over anybody's guitar. <laughs> um, that's something I'm just really paranoid about, um, you know, falling down and hurting myself, but even more than that kind of, you know, damaging someone's instrument. Right. Um, right. So, you know, I've just, uh, I, I need a certain amount of accommodations and which is not a word that I love, but, um, a lot of times I'll just kind of do them for myself to the extent that I can. Why don't you like accommodations? Well, because of, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, you know, like everybody has something that they're trying to carry so like if everybody needs to be accommodated it's 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 not really special treatment anymore it's just like how we should all be treating each other you know um i must have been midwestern in a previous life or something i'm i'm not i don't like to ask for other extra things i don't like to call attention to myself i don't like to put anybody out um inconvenience anybody you know no no i'm i'm fine um but I'm not fine uh, sometimes, and I have to be. It's uncomfortable to, for me to be honest about that. Um, so I've just come up with these little tricks of the trade. I always have a little flashlight that I carry on me. Um, I have a music stand light that you would normally see perched on like an orchestra music stand. I, I just clip that right to the mic stand, and it shines down onto my guitar neck so that I can always, I know that there's a place where I can always see the guitar neck. Um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely affected the way that I work. Um, but I'm, I've just been really intentionally kind of like dealing with problems and potential pitfalls as they arise and trying to neutralize them and, and keep, keep on. How has this experience changed the way you see like artist venue promoter relations? Yeah, I mean it's all the, those relations are already strained a lot sometimes, you know. Yeah. Everybody's bottom line is so thin. You know, the the margins are so thin now. Um which is why, you know, in part, I feel sometimes guilty about asking for anything. But, um, you know, for the most part, I, I will say that when I, when I bring something to, to people's attention, my experience has been people immediately apologize and immediately try to make it better for me. And they say, you know, this is something that, that really everyone would be helped by, you know, and this is this is an interesting thing because I was doing a panel at Folk Alliance uh, a year ago about um, about disability in, in the folk scene, and I was on uh, the panel with um, uh, Galen Lee and uh, Lily Lewis, and I think it was Lily who said, you know, that had not been her experience that immediate kind of uh, oh let me fix this let me address this. And, um, you know, I think that's, I mean, that's all down to just, I think, racism and sexism <laughs> intersecting with, you know, ableism or, or, you know, kind of, um, 
you know, kind of disability bias or what have you. Um, and ironically, it's like the very fact of being a white man, which made me a little bit nervous about kind of speaking out in this community at first. In some ways, I think it's kind of, I've realized that I, I kind of need to speak out because there are a lot of people out there, um, and it's not right, but it is it is true that there's a lot of people that don't really hear anything unless it comes out of a mouth that's, you know, looks a lot like mine, you know? And so if you can say as a quote-unquote normal-looking white male, like, hey, we got to deal with this. This is hard for people to navigate. I think people are kind of taken aback in a way that they should be taken aback when anyone says that. But, um, you know, for reasons we've, we've discussed, they, they may not be. So I've kind of gradually realized that, you know, maybe I have a small kind of part to play here that can not just help me, but, you know, yeah. hopefully help others. You've talked about how these songs, writing these songs, uh, they're more intimate and the most vulnerable you've ever been. Can you talk about summoning that courage into your songwriting like was it a straightforward through line due to like all the processing you and your family had done all of the talking you've done about your diagnosis I mean was it was it easy no <laughs> uh it was not easy uh nor would I say it was straightforward um there's a few songs on here that kind of even predate my diagnosis, but strangely seemed to kind of be relevant in a in a in a much more uh, concrete kind of non metaphorical way. You know, after mm -hmm. I was diagnosed, a song like "Up Against the Night," you know, I was kind of using that as like a metaphorical kind of middle age sort of imagery. You know, and like then when I got diagnosed, I was like literally on a timer with sunlight, <laughs> you know, and like and, uh, you know, I would get very agitated and very uh, anxious as the sun was going down, realizing that I was, you know, not going to be able to do certain things or help out in certain ways. Um, so, yeah, it. <sighs> And then for a while, I, after I was um, diagnosed, I didn't really write at all. I was. It seemed like the music. It didn't seem to help. It seemed like a very uh, weak tool <laughs> to use, um, and that was that was really sobering. Considering it's like not only what I do for a living, but it is also like my spiritual practice, you know? So to realize that it was like just not helping at all and it didn't seem like there was any motivation to do it, um, plus the pandemic, uh, it, it was just really, really hard. I, I think it gradually started to come back despite myself. And then... You know, ironically, some of the technology that we'd had to rely upon because we were isolated started to make connection even, you know, more possible. So I was on a Zoom cocktail hour with Lori uh, 
my wife and I were, were hanging out with Lori and Jean one night over Zoom. And uh, I was saying, you know, yeah, I'm just I'm just not very inspired. I'm not writing a lot. And uh, I was like, how are you doing? And she's like, I've never written more in my life. You know, <laughs> I was like, figures, you know, and I was like, what's this? What's your secret? And she said, Zoom co-writes. And I was like, oh, my God, like that would had never occurred to me. And I said, well, you got to show me how. And then, you know, we got together on Zoom and wrote, you're going to want to remember this, you know, in a, in a couple hours, you know. So once I kind of had proof of, of concept there um, that uh, I wasn't quite as isolated as I felt, um, I was kind of, you know, after that I was, I kind of became more free to explore, you know, both on my own songwriting and, you know, reaching out to people that, uh, I couldn't be with or people that I would just never run into. You know, I was co-writing with Matt Nathanson. Um, I was co-writing with Celia Woodsmith and Della May. Uh, you know, I, I knew Celia, but I, I didn't know Matt at all. You know, we, I just reached out kind of through a friend and, uh, so all these kind of really cool, connections started happening and got kind of got the juices flowing again. Let's go through this album, Lay Your Darkness Down. If you're listening in real time, the album is out tomorrow. Uh, or if you're listening in the future, it is out now. Um, the first song, Break in the Clouds, you say, this song is a prayerful anthem for a little bit of light to push back the darkness and allow us a moment to catch our breath and steal our resolve. I'm gonna wait for a break in the clouds For the sun to come shining down Which makes me wonder how you experience joy now. Like, where is joy for you? How does it feel? How does it feel different? I think... I think there's some things about my experience with RP that have kind of, um, for lack of a better way of putting it, has really, it's really opened my eyes kind of to the, maybe to the way things have always been. And I just kind of maybe glossed right over it or because of, uh, you know, my previous experience or my privilege, I had just never had to really think about it before. But um, you know, in general, I've been a very happy, healthy, satisfied person, <laughs> you know, um, but not everybody is that lucky, you know, and some people have it a, a lot harder. And, uh, so, you know, a break in the clouds was really kind of started as a pandemic, a, a response to the pan the challenge of the pandemic, you know, um, just wanting like some good news to come out of this. And, uh, you know, and every once in a while we would have a, nor a normal feeling thing, right? We would get together with family, you know, outside on a beautiful day and it would feel almost normal, you know? And it was just kind of making sure that you paid attention to those moments that, that really felt great and used them to kind of uh, help help fuel your your resolve through the times that that seemed a lot harder. What was that? Have I been here? 
before In a past life I was exactly the same I'm pretty sure I've seen that chair Read the books on the shelf In the next life Maybe I'll go easier on myself The next song, Fuel for the Fire. So Mark wrote this really great track by track. That's where I'm getting a lot of these quotes. You said, I wanted to use my new reality to fight back against the helplessness, stereotypes, and fear that people living with a disability must overcome. So this is where we get to talk about negative bias. Uh, Are you familiar (laughs) with negative bias? Uh, Define it for me. I want to see if I'm thinking in the same way. Will. Okay. Negativity bias refers to our proclivity to attend to, learn from, and use negative information far more than positive information. I think basically it's like our brains trying to keep us alive mm. and keep us away from risk. Mm-hmm. So how does that information hit you and how have you used your new reality to fight negative bias and live your life to its fullest? Mm. Man, I think you've kind of stumped me here. I'm still, I'm, still, I'm uh, I mean, wow, that's that's a really interesting question. Negative. I'm still kind of stuck on negative bias. Like, is that something that I really focus on? And I guess, yeah, I guess it is. Um. I mean, I, I, to, I would say this, you know, people that are, have been living with a disability, regardless of what it is, for a lot longer than I have, have said something to the uh, effect of that there came a day when they were kind of grateful for their disability. Um, and that's not really a word that I would use even now, two years in. Um but uh, I I know what they're I know what they're they're getting at there, right? Like it's whatever they're whatever they're living through, whatever their experiences, whatever they're doing. It's not it, it may not be about their disability, but they're able to experience it in the way that they are because of their disability. You know, so mm-hmm. in that way, like. This it's not layer darkness down is not a record about blindness. It's not that word is not on the record, you know. The word blind Whoa. is wow. Yeah, it's not. It's not very intentionally. <laughs> um, it's but it, they are all songs that I don't think I. Um, well, I did write a couple of them before before I knew, but um, the the lion's share of the record are, are songs that I don't think that I could have written without the pers- the perspective that my RP afforded me, you know? Um, so I, I do think that I, I, con- I constantly run up against things that I can't do. And, you know, whether it's drive at night or whether it's, like, I have a hard time playing catch in the backyard with my boys. Uh, it's There's just a lot of, light and dark visual information to kind of process as the ball hurdles toward me. And I get very nervous that I'm going to get hit in the face with a football or something. Um, 
so I'm constantly running up against these things that I can't do, right? You know, um, the negative stuff. <laughs> but I, I'm, I do learn from it. And um, I learn to ask for what I need. I learn to educate other people as to, you know, what my particular experience is at any given point in time and remind them that, you know, it may be very different from their experience. And, you know, in that way, I think everybody kind of learns a little bit from that. Um, I don't, that's a lot, that's a really long winded way of distracting you from the fact that I, I, I'm not sure that I really fully knew how to answer that question. And maybe a week from now, I'm going to be like, Oh, I'm emailing Cindy. <laughs> yeah. Can we do that one again? Yeah. I don't know where we were going, but Rosalita was on the radio. I was drumming on the dash and she was whistling to the saxophone. We never promised each other, but when you only have the summer, it's almost like September says. You're going to want to remember this, co-written with Lori McKenna. It's about paying attention to things that fly by. And you also said it's verbatim something Lori said to me at my 40th birthday party where a bunch of your friends were covering your songs. And she said, pay attention. You're going to want to remember this, which is an awesome story. Um, the thing that I want to know about is the recording of that vocal break at 2.58. You know, it's like the very, like, ma'am, I am tonight. You're going to want to remember this. And it's like... The ma'am I am tonight moment. That is fantastic. <laughs> I love it. So you want to hear about the recording of that that yeah, moment? Yeah, I want to hear about the decision making when you actually hit it in the studio. Like, what's it like to listen to it? What's it like to play that part live? Yeah, I mean, that's it's an arena rock moment for sure. Um, it, it's funny, you know, f for a while I, I was recording down here in, in my basement alone um, trying to figure out kind of how to do it. I had done it before, but not really intentionally. I just kind of was messing around, you know. But um, And I'd recorded overdubs down here, but I'd, I hadn't really done like a full project in this one room with my two measly channels of audio. And so I spent a lot of time just trying to figure out how to do it, how to get it to the point that it felt like I was making music and not like I was, I was executing a bunch of tasks, you know, and, and performing a bunch of functions. And the, the first three or four songs that I recorded, you know, which aren't on the record, they sounded fine, but I could just hear the process and I could hear, I just could, I could see the seams, you know, but I'll never forget the first time I, I did I did a track and it just, and it wasn't one that was on the re that made the record actually but it I was listening and I was just transported you know and I was just listening I was feeling the emotion I wasn't thinking about how I did anything I was thinking about what the song how it was affecting me you know and I'm like okay I'm having an authentic emotional response to music that I'm making alone in my basement. This is proof of concept, okay? So after that, <laughs> I didn't really think about it much. I, I just, 
I could get pretty granular and pretty technical, but it was always in service of creating that that final impression where all that stuff falls away and there's just this emotional response. So usually when I'm recording, I'm like playing guitar and singing live with the band, you know, and it's, it's intense, you know, if you don't, if you screw up, you're going to mess up the whole take or whatever. And, um, I just got used to like being able to do things a ton of times and, and there really wasn't any pressure to like nail anything um, if I wasn't feeling well or, or, you know, what have you. So I just would go for things. And if like I, if I blew my voice out or if I, you know, felt a little, a little tired afterwards, I could just stop and go back to it later, you know? So I just kind of went for it. I don't really remember the time that it happened. I, I think it was probably a little easier than the recording of the harmony part, which is higher. <laughs> and that almost exploded my head. Um, but it is, it's a really fun moment to have in a song. And every night I'm a little bit like, just a tiny bit disappointed that I don't have a monitor and a giant arena to like put my, plant my food up on the monitor and like, you know, have the house lights come on and, you know, yeah. strike the pose. Maybe someday, I don't know. But, um, it's it's a really it's a really intense moment and and a really uh, a really fun one to try and execute. You're gonna wanna remember this. It flies by. It's easy to miss. Don't play. Drink it in. It happens once and it might never happen again. Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. Okay, here we go. Marcarelli, the lightning round. What is the song that makes you cry every time? Oh, uh, I, the two that come immediately to mind are Randy Newman's Feels Like Home, uh, which is off the Faust album, not a very well-known album, and um, mm. Anais Mitchell's uh, Now You Know, which just slays me. Full stop, slays me. What's one product you cannot live without? I'm a big fan of flashlights, as we've previously mentioned. <laughs> uh, and I have a lot of different kind, headlamps, handhelds, you know, tiny ones, large ones. Um, we're talking now in the winter time when I get a lot of hand, uh, like finger splits, around, especially around my finger picking uh, fingers. Mm -hmm. So super glue. Is actually uh, uh, comes a lot in handy because I basically just you know every several days am gluing my hands together so that I can play the guitar. Disgusting. 
I mean, that's what it was originally designed for, as I understand it. A wound closure wow. thing for the military. And now it's for folk singers. <laughs> <laughs> what color is your soul? <sighs> I am going to go with... Even though it makes me sound angry, I'm going to go with red because red is my favorite color. So I just want to make sure that I'm fully inhabiting my favorite. Which color. shade of which shade of red? Like a cherry talking? red, like the wow. color of like a like a ES three thirty five Gibson red. That that kind of yeah, warm kind of lit from within sort of red. Okay, unexpected. It's very specific. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your celebrity crush? Oh, celebrity crush. Oh, that's really good. Uh, gosh. I'll go with I'll go with Connie Britton. Why not? I was just Ooh. listening to Chuck Prophet's um, Bobby Fuller Died for Your Sins album the other day and he's he's got a song on there about Connie Britton and I was like, "Oh yeah, right. Connie Britton's kind of hot." So, we'll go with that. Yeah. What is your most useful non-musical skill? Uh, well, I, I think y I would go with, and I think you would probably agree, it's got to be bug identification because mm -hmm. I get a lot of texts of pictures of bugs from people in the music world at all <laughs> hours of the day, <laughs> you know, usually followed by a separate text that says, should I step on this or not? <laughs> should I? Have you heard of the... Japanese lantern bug. Oh yeah, it's a big it's a big problem, invasive species. Yeah, I keep looking out for one because it's a really cool, it's a beautiful looking uh, bug, but um, not uh, not supposed to be here and uh, potentially very damaging. So yeah, I'm on I'm on the lookout. They they ought to watch out for me. They are all over the place in Pittsburgh. Not now. I think oh. they died in the winter time but it's a big problem in western sure. pennsylvania and uh, yeah. i think the first time i saw it i was like look at this beautiful bug and then i i actually didn't take a picture of it and send it to you weirdly enough and now every time i see it i'm like crush <laughs> hulk smash <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay this is the last question okay what is your favorite bill morrissey song oh i gotta go with birches gotta Ooh. go with birches yeah that's a fact, classic yeah yeah that's one of my favorite songs period by anybody but yeah birches awesome all right mark thanks for making this record lay your darkness down and talking about rp it's uh i think it's really brave what you're doing and oh. i'm really proud of you it's so so thanks it's so great to to reconnect and you know the last time we did this that was the night before everything shut down. That was the night before the, the kids' school closed, the NBA season suspended, travel to Europe suspended. I mean, but that afternoon, it was just you and I talking about my new record, and it was great. Yep. And uh, a lot has changed since yeah. the last time we have talked. Yep. But some things haven't changed, one of which is that I remain a... Uh, ardent uh, supporter and fan of you in this podcast. So thank you for having me back. Thank you. Uh, I um, echo your sentiment and sorry, I never fill out my Kickstarter. I don't know what my password is. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> Mr. April signing off. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks.
That's right, Mr. April. If you were not aware, Marcarelli was in our Basic Folk Hotties calendar as the month of April. Uh, Basic Folk This Week was produced by me, Cindy Howes. We are on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes there, wherever you get podcasts. You can search for us on the SiriusXM app under Basic Folk, or you can find us wherever you get podcasts. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.